You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Every so often I get the opportunity to uh, ride horses. A friend of mine owns horses. I wish I owned horses. But every so often I get to ride horses. And this week I got riding and all of a sudden I heard this incredible story from my friend and I went, whoa. And then I realized that's probably not the right thing to say at this moment on a horse, whoa, because I wasn't wanting the horse to stop. We're in a series on woes, but it's not woe like stop. It's woe like, oh, woe is you. This is bad news. Don't do this sort of thing. And Jesus used this term woe a bunch. And he's going to use it in, in our text this morning. I, I think to some degree, I'm going to read just one a little bit from Leviticus, which you won't find on the screen. I think he's um, riffing on a text that I really appreciate. He's taking it in a new way. He's saying, so this is from Leviticus, third book in the Old Testament. And, and God says this, these words, you shall not curse the deaf. Right? I mean, think about cursing the deaf, people who can't hear a curse. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. That's pretty stunning words, right? You don't curse deaf people. Don't put stumbling blocks in front of blind people. They're just certain things. Why? Because I'm God and you should fear me. Wow, that's pretty stunning language. So Jesus is going to, I think, take what is a very literal statement about putting stumbling blocks, and he's going to speak in some different ways. This is from the Gospel of Luke, the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 4. Listen to the word of God. Jesus said to his disciples, Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone from whom they come. It would be better if you had a millstone that were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea, then you should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. If the same person sins against you seven times a day and then turns back seven times a day and says, I repent, you must forgive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we are people who um, sometimes just have a hard time listening. Um, And that really comes not from our ears per se. It comes from our hearts, our minds, our wills. And and we want to be people who are always open to hearing what you want to say. So we say, come Holy Spirit. Come. Open up our ears. Open our eyes soften our hearts, open up our minds, that we would hear whatever you want to say to each of us. Each of us come with different things that this this scripture of yours engages. So we pray that you and your grace would be moving in each of our lives. We thank you that you are good. Amen. As words from Jesus go, these are kind of harsh words. You think about it, right? You know, it'd be better if you had a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Jesus doesn't typically use that sort of language. That's pretty powerful language. I don't ever wish to have a millstone around my neck and be thrown into the sea, right? Swim with the fishes, says the mafia. I don't care for that sort of thing to happen. That's just not something I want. 
what would happen if you cause one of these little ones to stumble? Hey, look, we're all going to stumble, but woe to the one who causes these things to happen. Here's the problem. We're really not sure what he means by little ones. Seriously, I, I've read a whole bunch of scholars this week, and there are basically three options. One is the poor. So the very uh, passage, passage that precedes this is Jesus is telling the story about the poor. And so maybe he's saying, don't cause the poor to stumble. Um, Proverbs has this great little phrase, the one who mocks the poor mocks the maker. You do not want to cause poor people to stumble. So what does that look like? How are you careful about that? There's a, a guy named Gordon McDonald who pastored a downtown church in New York City, and he said, one day I'm kind of walking by the alley in my church in Manhattan, and there's this poor guy going through a garbage pail. And I say, hey, man, you know, would you uh, clean up and put the lid on before you're done? And the guy says, excuse me, I'll do it if you ask me respectfully. And Gordon McDonald goes, respectfully. He had me. I was not respectful. And so he turned to the guy and he said, you know, I would really love it when you're done there if you would tidy things up before you go. And the guy said, I would be glad to do that. And they shook hands. It's easy to stop looking at other people as partly, as all made in the image of God. And that's, a, that's not good and easy in our lives. Right? That everyone in this room is made in the image of God. We don't want to cause the poor to stumble. Well, that's one possibility, the poor. Another is it's just little ones or children. You know, you don't want to cause little children to stumble. Um, I'm, I'm a guy who was abused by my scoutmaster. So when I was 12, I'm one of those, there are like 80,000 people suing the scouts right now. I'm, I'm one of those people. I was abused by my scoutmaster. I was 12. I, I had no idea what was going on, and boy, did I feel guilty afterwards, and it took me years to realize that that was just false guilt. And that may be part of your story. Odds are just statistically some others of you have been abused as children as well. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that the Lord says woe to anyone who causes someone to stumble because I go, okay, the Lord will hold people like that to account. And should the Lord decide to offer grace to my abuser, I'm good with that. Jesus gets to decide. And I'm not speaking for you if you've been abused. You get to figure out how you want to deal with your abuse. I'm just telling you how I deal with mine. Jesus, I'm okay with what Jesus wants to do. If it's judgment, if it's mercy, that's up to the Lord. But woe to anyone who causes a little one to stumble. Could be children. Could be just Christians. Um, was, he uses this little one thing for disciples. You know, we don't want to cause other people to stumble. I, I have a friend who really was at a bad place and was thinking of having an affair with a woman he found very attractive, and she was a Christian. And one of the reasons he didn't have an affair was he realized what he was going to do to her. That was one of the things that kept him from being an idiot. Because we don't want to cause other people to stumble. I'm not sure in the end whether it's really important to figure out which group we're not supposed to cause to stumble, right? I mean, why would we want to cause anyone to stumble for that matter, right? But we're just not fully sure, but probably that's just not a good, uh, what may you say, um, job description for you, causing people to stumble. Don't do it. Don't. Don't get in the way of folks. Don't do that. And then Jesus says, hey, if you see someone sinning, rebuke them. Now, I'm sure rebuke is a word you use regularly, like I do. 
who uses the word rebuke these days, right? Because that's, that's a strong word, the rebuke word. Don't do that, man, right? That's the rebuke word. But here's a very important thing. Whenever you're reading Jesus' words, pay attention to the whole of Jesus' words. So in his first instructions to disciples, which happens in Luke 6, he says, hey, when you see a speck in someone else's eye, how is it you do that when there's a log in your eye? First take out the log in your eye, and then you can remove the speck in your brother's eye. So before you're running off to be part of the rebuke squad for Christianity, to keep people from their sins, look in a mirror. Right? What might it be about your life that you need to pay attention to? This may shock some of you. Video conferencing has not always been possible. Yes, I know. That may be a shock to you, but video conferencing is actually new, all right? It's a new thing. I remember the very, very, very first time I did video conferencing. I, I was in Phoenix with my little computer, and I'm on the wall somewhere in Colorado Springs, and there are like 15 pastors, my buddy who's doing this thing, and it's just me just talking to the camera. And um, afterwards, I'm just intrigued. And I say to my buddy, hey, like, how did how'd that go? What, ain't, what, what feedback you got for me? He said, oh, you were great. Really clear, good, it was, ah, you were super. He said, but you know how your nose is a little big? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah. He said, you can't get that close to the camera, <laughs> right? So I don't know if you know this, like cameras, cameras on a, on video, they're like a little fisheye thing. They, they magnify things. So if you're ever on a video conference for me, you will note that I'm not really close. You're like, that guy's kind of far. Now, what I love is watching people's faces when I tell that story, because people are like, oh, no, he didn't, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing that happens. Let me tell you a little secret. Love gives one the ability to speak the truth. Love gives one the ability to speak the truth. He's my friend. What did I ask for? I wanted to know. You know what's terrible is when people don't tell people things. And they could. I was with a group of people, some serious stuff happening, and three of them said, I wish I had said something a year ago. And it was way more serious than a fisheye camera. I wish I had said something a year ago. I have a little dictum for people I work with. My friends tell me if there's spinach on my teeth. That's literal. If you see spinach on my teeth, please tell me. And it's metaphorical. Friends, people who love, say, hey, man, can I just give you a little feedback? Because love gives one the ability to speak the truth. I was sitting at a California pizza kitchen in California, in, in Pasadena, and it was a bunch of my colleagues at the time, and one of my friends was just snippy and harsh with the waitress. And this man loves Jesus. So the waitress left, and I said to him, hey, man, you Okay. He said, yeah, why? You're being a jerk to the waitress. You got to stop that. I said, I am? Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Right? That's what friends do. That's what brothers and sisters do. Love gives one the ability to speak the truth and to go, ah, you're, this isn't good. What are you doing? One of the kindest words that were ever spoken to me as a rebuke uh, came from my, my then girlfriend, not my wife, Gail. She was my girlfriend at the point. I was volunteering in her youth group as one of the leaders. And she sat down with me and she said, you know what? 
you're, you have a problem. You have pride. And here's God's grace. This is my response. I do? Right? I mean, who do you want to least tell something to? A prideful person that's a pride like that, right? Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you. Right, right. And that's kind of, but honestly, my, God's kindness to my heart was just like, That's a kind word. But the trick is, are you willing to receive rebuke? And we're not going to typically call it that. Feedback, we might say. But are you willing for someone to say, hey, log in the eye? Are you able to be open to, ooh, I got a log in my eye? Because people shouldn't be rebuking if they're not able to be rebuked. People should not be speaking truth if they're not willing to hear truth. And, and the gospel is that we're people about truth, people about grace and truth, and we, we really want to hear what God wants to say. So I really do believe God calls us as people of grace to speak truth into people's lives. But I do think there's a precursor, which means we have to really be open to hearing truth in our lives. There was a period of time where God just really impressed upon me that I needed to speak into someone I had a lot of regard for, and she had a pride problem. And believe me, I was like, ah, this conversation is not going to go well. And I got about six friends to pray for this conversation. I never mentioned the name. I said, I've got to speak some truth into someone's life. I it's it's going to be tough. I, I remember the restaurant I was sitting in with her. And I said to her, hey, you have wonderful gifts. God has given you great gifts, and they're going to be really hard for you to live into because you have a problem with pride. You really think things are owed to you. And by the grace of God, she was able to receive that. How might you speak words like that? Again, the first place is your ability to receive words like that. Friends tell me if there's spinach on my teeth. And then how might you speak them? Love gives one the ability to speak the truth. There are lots of people I'd love to speak truth into their lives, but I often think, mm, not my role. And I really don't think it's my role. But there are other people in my life that I go, yeah, it is my role. And these people I was speaking with in the past couple of weeks, it was their role. It was their role a year ago to say something when they didn't say something. This is a call to wisdom. This is a call to prayer. This is a call to discernment. Lord, do you want me to say that? You sure? Is, that, is this from you? It's not something you just blunder out, blurt out, and go for. It's a call for wisdom, a call for discernment, and a call to really love the other to speak that word in. And then it's not up to you to how that word gets received. That's up to them. My friend gets to deal with her pride however she wants to deal with her pride. My job is not to fix other people. I'm having a hard time with myself. So I'm just, I've given up trying to fix anyone else. Rebuke is an important quality. The problem is we tend to think of rebuke being used by really kind of judgmental, nasty people. That doesn't mean we throw off rebuke. It means we throw off the nasty thing. So what does that, what does that look like? Um, the next thing he moves into is to forgive. This is intriguing. To forgive. If someone sins against you, forgive that person. 
You know, forgiveness is, um, forgiveness is an interesting word. You'll hear Christians say, all sin is sin. I concur. All sin is sin. I agree. And yet, I will also say to you, but there are gradients of sin. There's a difference between thinking of murdering someone and murdering someone. There is a difference. There's a thinking of having an affair, thinking of having an affair, and having an affair. There is a difference. It's a qualitative difference. The wake of, the, of that destruction moves in different ways. And to ignore that sort of eh, continuum, we might say, is to be foolish. Right? It's one thing to give someone a harsh look. Shouldn't, you shouldn't give someone a harsh look. It's another thing to say some kind of harsh words. Eh, that's not great either. Right? And we just slowly kind of step it up, kind of to fantasize, to lust, to have an affair, to rape, to murder. Right? We, we can throw all sorts of things in this gradient of sin. And we understand, you know, I can probably forgive a bad face. That's not too hard. Eh, I made a face. Yeah, they did. Eh, I forgive. It's not a big deal. In this room, probably you have things in your life that, that were bad, way, way worse than a harsh look. And I don't know those things. But that may be something that God's calling you to, to forgive. What does that look like? I don't know. Here's the problem with forgiveness. To borrow some words from William Stoddard, forgiveness is hard. Because it, it's hard words because it's hard wood, because it's hard nails, because forgiveness means death. Forgiveness comes from the death of our Savior, which means I'm a forgiven person. And that was costly. It was grace, but it wasn't free. Right? There was a cost to that grace. And that's hard. And forgiveness can be really hard. I, in no way do I mean to underplay that. It can be really hard. And you have to decide how you want to deal with the things in your life. I'm just going to try to deal with the things in my life. But that's up to you to figure out, what, what do you want to do with that? I have friends who slowly but surely discovered that their spouse was stepping out on them, having affairs. Some of those marriages didn't end well and in divorce, and yet some of those marriages still exist. I, I'm going to tell you a little secret about when forgiveness is tough. You may have to do it more than once. You may have to forgive again and again and again, and, and there's nothing non-Christian about that. Well, I should be able to forgive them. Yeah, that's true, but you may need to do it again and again and again. Why? Because you're a human being. When something really dastardly and nasty has happened to you, it may not be quick. And the grace of God really may do something profound in you. Now, I don't want to prescribe for you what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness for you may have been like, I don't know, it's really nasty, but I'm okay. Okay, great. It's really hard for me. It's still hard for me. I'm still forgiving. Okay. Yeah. I, I am one who does not believe in the concept of forgive and forget. I don't see how that's possible. I think one can forgive. I don't really buy the forget thing. I don't think God, like, all of a sudden becomes Alzheimer's towards my sins. I think he's aware of them, and they're forgiven. I think that's how it works for us, too. We may still remember, yeah, that was, that was, that was nasty. That was really awful. But who am I 
God be calling you to speak into their lives? Who might God be calling you to forgive? A woman, a friend of mine, um, came to me. She was a parishioner. She said she was, uh, this is harsh, she was raped by a friend. And she said that he called me, and he asked me to forgive him. What should I do? And I said, let me ask you a question. Was he standing in a police office? Or was he standing in the midst of your family? Right, to ask for forgiveness like that may mean a bit more than just to ask for forgiveness on the phone so I can feel better about something horrific I've done to someone else. We have to be careful when we ask for forgiveness that's not cheap. That when we're asking for forgiveness, repentance is not just like, oh, I feel bad, sorry. But what might repentance look like in a particular situation? Who might God be bringing to your mind at this moment? What, what might God be calling you to do? Jesus says some pretty stunning words to us. Forgive. Forgive. And then he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? But let me give you a little secret on forgiveness. Timing. Certain things take different bits of time to be forgiven. I watched a woman, both Christians, uh, everyone involved Christians, I watched a woman whose husband had an affair with someone else, and I watched her within like 10 minutes give forgiveness to the woman who had an affair. I'm thinking, nope. I didn't buy it. Nope. Nope. Don't think so. Nope. Because it doesn't work like that. And I appreciate her heart trying to be forgiving, but I just don't believe that that happens because some things take time. Let's say you're an abuse victim. Yeah, it takes time to kind of figure out how to work yourself through that material. It took me a while to figure out how to work myself through that material. Maybe a spouse has cheated on you. Maybe you, someone, friend, did you dastardly. Okay, that may take some time. I don't think we have to rush into forgiveness, but... I think we have to be careful not to not forgive. Just because the Lord tells us to do that sort of stuff. So how does that happen? I think a lot of prayer. I'm instructed by the fact that right after this text, the first words the disciples say are, Lord, increase our faith. Certain forgiveness will only take the Holy Spirit inside of you. Certain forgiveness will take a lot of prayer. Are you freaking kidding me, God? You want me to forgive that? You want me to forgive her? You want me to forgive? No. Great. Go for it. Have those conversations with God. Have at it. He's not surprised by your attitude. What? You're angry with me, says God? No. That's not a shock for God, right? Have at it. Be honest with God. No. No, 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 no. Great. That's where you are. You're not forgiving because Tom said something on a Sunday morning. You're engaging God in something that he's calling you to, and you're having it out with him. Okay, have out with him. You're going to be hurt. It's really dastardly stuff, you're going to be hurt. You're going to hate. Don't be surprised by that. Then you're going to figure out whether you want to forgive. And if it's really bad, you may have to forgive again and again and again, and there's nothing wrong with your discipleship. There's nothing wrong with you following him. And if it takes you time to forgive, okay. That's just how it goes. There's a story, um, a, a woman named Regine tells this story. Um, she, uh, 
She came to Christ during the genocides in Rwanda. She was reading her a cousin's Bible. And she was able to escape to Canada, and she met her husband, Gordon, and they'd go back to Rwanda trying to bring the love of Jesus, uh, the reconciliation of Christ back to Rwanda. If you don't know the history of Rwanda, I'm not going to give it to you now. It's bad. Bad is too gentle of a word. It's horrific. Horrific, I haven't even gotten clear on what it was. But she tells a story that was told to her. A woman's only son was killed. I have three sons, unimaginable. She was consumed with grief, hate, and bitterness. I get her. She was consumed with grief, hate, and bitterness. She said to the Lord, reveal my son's killer. One night she dreamed she was going to heaven. But there was a complication. In order to get there, she had to walk to, through to a certain house, walk through it, go up some stairs, enter the door, go up some stairs, go through the house and go out, and then she could get into heaven. And she said, Lord, what's this about? And he said, well, this is the house of your enemy. The only way she was going to get through heaven was to go through the house of the man who killed her son. Two days later, a guy shows up at her door and says, I'm the one who killed your son. He said, torture me because I'm in torture. Put me in jail because I'm in prison. Kill me because I'm already dead. Do whatever you want to do with me. And she listened to it, and she was so surprised by what happened inside of her. She, she only wanted one thing, a son. And she said, I ask this of you. Come in my home and live with me. Eat the food that I've prepared for my son. Wear the clothes I've made for my son. Become the son I've lost. And so he did. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't. And I really want to be open to rebuke. And I was thinking as I was working on this message that, that I, my wife owes me a thank you letter. I give her opportunity to obey the scripture all the time, to rebuke me, to forgive me. <laughs> I'm thinking I am this incredible gymnasium for her to try out obedience to Jesus in this sort of thing, right? So I don't want to be a stumbling block. I want to be open to rebuke. And I can get defensive, but I really want to be open to rebuke to hear it. And I want to become a person of forgiveness because that's what Jesus does, right? I mean, that's what Jesus came for, to reconcile us all. Jesus, who's slow to anger, but merciful, abounding in steadfast love. And I know forgiveness is hard. So I don't challenge you to forgive, but I know the Lord does. And there's some pretty powerful statements, like we prayed this prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I don't know how that works itself out in your life. You'll figure it out. Paul will even say, and if you have something against someone, forgive them just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Right after that, he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love. One of the strange things about the Christian community is that we are a reconciling 
and reconciled community. One of the things that speaks powerfully is when we are people of forgiveness through the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, something is proclaimed in the midst of that. Somehow Jesus shows up in the midst of our weakness, our woundedness, our allowing God's grace to move because I will tell you that there have been times I've forgiven only by the grace of God, not because I fall back on my power. I think God's speaking to you this morning. And I'm hoping that you're listening. And I'll be curious to hear who God might be bringing to your mind, and I'm fine if you never share it with me. I don't care. Never. And how you might become a person who speaks into the lives of others. Hey, man, a little spinach on your pizza. How you become a person of forgiveness. And remember, the other side of forgiveness is to be a person who repents, a person who changes their lives. I need God's spirit to do that as well. Would you pray with me?